Hello, and welcome to the Jesus and a Cup of Joe podcast, the show that brings you a conversation about Jesus, the Bible, and life. Here is your host, Royce Bottoms. Hey, I want to welcome all of you to Jesus and a Cup of Joe. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to spend it with me. I hope and pray you're having a fantastic day. You've got your great cup of Joe and you're ready to go. Last week, I looked at five of the 12 apostles that followed Jesus. And I examined how they were called, how they lived their life, how they played an important part in the scriptures, and how they died. And the first five was Peter, James, and John, Andrew, and Philip. And so today, I'm going to pick up with Bartholomew. But the scripture I want to share with you so you have an understanding about the 12 apostles and the reasons that Jesus called them is found in John 15, 16. And it reads, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you may go out and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my father's name, I will give you. So when we look at Bartholomew, Bartholomew is one of the most obscured apostles. Bartholomew is never listed with any titles or descriptions. All that we really know about his name is that he was a close associate of Philip. Bartholomew is always listed alongside of Philip. This may indicate that Bartholomew and Philip had some type of a relationship. So the question is, is Bartholomew the same person as Nathan? Bartholomew's name is most likely to come from an Arabic name Bartalami, meaning the son of Talami. And if this be the case, knowing that this could be derived from a person's father, it stands to reason that Bartholomew would have been known by another name. In this case, most would argue that that other name would be Nathaniel. Since Nathaniel appears to be an apostle in the Gospel of John, it's closely associated with Philip. Philip calls him to meet Jesus after all. But Bartholomew does not appear in the book of John. But others argue that Bartholomew is a standalone name and that the Greek text normally represents names differently. If Bartholomew is Nathaniel, John would have gave us two additional passages to learn about this disciple. When Philip first tells Nathaniel about Jesus, he's skeptical. A Nazarene can anything good come from there? John 1, 46. But after seeing Jesus demonstrate his divinity, he says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. John 1, 49. Toward the end of John's gospel, Nathaniel comes up again. This time he is merely listed among the seven disciples who went fishing. We know several of these disciples were fishermen. Peter, James, and John, plus Andrew. And if he's one of the unnamed disciples in this passage, so either Nathaniel was a fisherman or he was just taking an opportunity to learn a new trade, since at this point it seemed like the whole disciple thing didn't work out. So how did Bartholomew die? It's most likely the apostle Bartholomew was probably martyred. But there are several explanations to his death. The most popular is also the most gruesome. Bartholomew was allegedly skinned alive and then beheaded. 
Most art portrays the apostles to include some kind of iconic relations to their death. So Bartholomew is often portrayed wearing his skin or in a less gruesome portrait holding a knife for skinning. Other accounts suggest that he was beaten then crucified. He was crucified upside down. He was crucified then taken down before he died and then skinned alive and beheaded or just beheaded. There's no claims that he died of old age or any natural causes. I couldn't imagine being skinned alive and then beheaded. But then again, we have to look at the situation of the times and how they used to treat people for punishments. But now when we turn our attention to Matthew, Matthew was also known as a a Levi. He was a tax collector. It was one of the most hated professions in the first century. As a tax collector, Matthew collected taxes for Rome from his fellow Jews in Capernaum. That in itself would be enough to make him feel like a political traitor. His profession was a symbol of Israel's Rome occupation. But to make matters worse, tax collectors made their own money by saying people owed Caesar more than they did and then skimming off the top. And there was nothing anyone could do about it. As results, tax collectors were right up there with prostitutes for the worst of sinners. So it was a big deal that Jesus asked Matthew to follow him and to become one of his disciples. With Matthew being asked to become a disciple, painted a powerful picture on how God partners with all kinds of people, even those you least expect, to accomplish his purpose. And despite the fact that Matthew would have been considered a religious outsider, Jesus brought him into the inner circle of what we eventually become the world's largest religion. Despite the fact that Matthew is one of the better known disciples, he's actually only mentioned seven times in the Bible. Matthew is one of the few apostles whose calling is recorded in the Gospels. All three Gospels have their versions about the same account. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Matthew 9, 9. As he walked alone, he saw a Levi's son sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus said. The Levi got up and followed him. Mark 2, 14. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at a tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said, and the Levi got up and left everything to follow him. Luke 5, 27, 28. This doesn't tell us much other than he was a tax collector in Capernaum. And since Capernaum is where the encounter takes place, but you can notice that Mark and Luke call the tax collector Levi or Levi's son of Alphaeus. Since there are parallel passages and the Levi is never referred to again, Mark and Luke both include Matthew in the list of apostles. It's pretty safe to assume that Matthew and Levi are the same person. Most likely, Levi refers from the tribe Matthew was from, but it was also because he had a Greek name Matthew and his Hebrew name of Levi, similar to how Paul was also known as Saul. Since Matthew Levi was a Jew employed by the Romans, this would not be surprising. Immediately after calling Matthew to follow him, Jesus had dinner at Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and sinners came to eat and dine with Matthew and Jesus. When the Pharisees saw this, 
they tried setting a trap to prove that Jesus was a fraud. Upon hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Matthew 9, 10-13 The Pharisees see Jesus hanging out with the worst of the worst, and they assume that this is a reflection of his character. But as we all know that this was not the case. Jesus wasn't eating with the tax collectors or the sinners because he was a sinner too. He was eating with them to demonstrate God's mercy and to mend the brokenness that came along with be treated by religious outsiders. Did Matthew write the Gospel of Matthew? The Gospel of Matthew's author is anonymous, but Matthew the Apostle is traditionally considered the author. The early church claim he wrote it, and he contributed to according to Matthew as it was added possibly as early as the 2nd century. While there's no credible argument against his authorship, no alternative writers have ever been named. So how did Matthew die? Traditions disagree on how Matthew died. Various accounts have said that he was beheaded, stoned, or stabbed. One even suggests he died of old age like John. Most scholars believe he probably was martyred. So now we look at Thomas. Thomas, perhaps the best known as Doubting Thomas. He famously doubted the resurrection of Jesus and told the other disciples, unless I see the nail marks on his hand and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. John 20, 25. Then Jesus appeared and offered to let him do just that. After seeing Jesus in the flesh with his own eyes, Thomas proclaimed, my Lord, my God. Jesus responded with one of the most powerful statements about faith in all the scripture. Because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who do not see and believe. John 20, 29. Thomas's moment earned him the nickname of Doubting Thomas, which evolved into a term for anyone who needs proof before they believe in something. Honestly, that's all you really need to know about Thomas. He's not a major character in the Bible by any means. He's only mentioned eight times in the entire New Testament. Four of those were the list of the 12 apostles. And although the early church people would have been happy to fill in the details of his life, few of those details are relatable. But the Bible does tell us a little about him. Because what Thomas did, it helped lay the foundation for faith-based believing. So we still use that today. We still use the approach of having faith, having faith in something that we haven't seen but we believe in. So how did Thomas die? For such a minor apostle, the church tradition is remarkably considerate about his death. And as the early church calendar reads, 3rd of July, St. Thomas was pierced with a lance in India. So the Christian tradition specified that this took place July 3rd, 70 AD. And the Act of Thomas says that he was martyred by a spear in India. No other traditions exist about Thomas's death. So now we look at James, the son of Alphaeus. James is only mentioned in the four list of the apostles. So all that we can say for sure about him is... This was a really common name back then, 
and he is the son of someone named Alpheus. Pretty much everything else that we know about him is speculation. There are numbers of details that can't be proven by one way or another. So the main question surrounding James is we can assume that he is the same person as one or two of the other James that are mentioned in the New Testament. He's obviously not the same person as James, the son of Zebedee, who's also known as James the Greater. His name appears on the same list, but have different fathers. But there are two other James mentioned in the New Testament. James the Less, James the brother of Jesus. The early church assumes that both of the James are all from the same person, and the strong link is arguably between James the Less and James the brother of Jesus. But if James could be linked to one or the other, it would be reasonably dissociate with all three. From all we know from the Gospels, that Jesus had at least four brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And all we know that James, the less, has at least one brother named Joseph. If it turns out that James, the son of Alphaeus, is the same person as James, the brother of Jesus, then that would make him one of the most important leaders of the early church. But many modern scholars take more of a cautious position. It's possible that they could be the same person, but it's also possible that they're not. So, to not make assumptions, I'm going to leave it right there. The only thing that we can tell you is, how did James, the son of Alphaeus, die? Since the early church placed all three James together and really mix up their history, it's very impossible to separate them. So to try to look at the way he died can be very difficult to do. Some have said he was crucified in Egypt where he was preaching, and others say he was stoned to death in Jerusalem. However he died, it's pretty good odds that he died as a martyr. Now we turn our attention to Jude. Jude the Apostle is also known as Jude of James, Judas of James, and some have identified with Jesus' brother, Jude, and the traditional authors of the epistle of Jude, but the Bible does not tell us that the Judes are all the same people. As for James, the son of Alphaeus, there's not much that you could say about Jude without assuming that he is the same person as before. It's true that Jesus had a brother named Jude, and just like the James, Luke distinguishes them or attempts to because he has to be able to separate Jude from Judas Iscariot. So, as we can see with James, the son of Alphaeus, and with Jude, with the names being mixed up in the early church having a tough time recording the history, we can sit there and say that it's, it's very difficult to figure out everything that we need to know about uh, Jude. The only thing that we can do is we can see that most traditions assume that Jude the Apostle wrote the epistles of Jude because he assumed that he is the same person as Jesus' brother Jude. But unfortunately, Jude was not a super common name. Thus, this relies on assumptions. Today's scholars still have mixed opinion on this authorship. So I want to go ahead and stop right there and tell you, I understand how confusing it may be when we're looking at uh, James and Jude. Because we identified at least three Jameses in the Bible, 
and we identified at least two Judes. And it's very difficult to try to separate them two. And from everything that I've looked at and researched, it's uh, very hard pressed to find information other than the, the bits and pieces that we're able to put together. So now shifting gears and looking at Simon the Zealot, he's only mentioned by name in the list of the apostles. Little is known about him. Some says that he belonged to a Jewish sect called the Zealots who were bent on revolution and they were looking for the Messiah to violently overthrow Rome. Or he may have simply been an overzealous person of the Messiah law or zealous for Jesus in his teachings. The Bible doesn't tell us what the zealot signifies, so no one can really say for sure. So how did Simon the Zealot die? There's numerous accounts of his death, but the earliest records came from centuries after his death. Like many of the apostles, it's hard to, to conclude exactly which traditions, if any, could be trusted. Some said he died in the kingdom of Iberia, some says he was martyred in Persia in 65 AD. Another said that he was crucified in Samaria. So we are not sure how he died or anything else about him. So the last of the original 12 disciples is Judas Iscariot. He's one of the most widely known disciples. His infamous betrayal of Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which led Jesus' death to the cross. Today, Judas is still known as the ultimate traitor. Judas appears several times in the New Testament stories, while the gospel writers are in agreement that he betrayed Jesus. They present various takes on his motives or circumstances surrounding his death. Judas Iscariot may have been considered good with money or trustworthy because somehow he would always end up as the treasurer for Jesus and for the disciples. Ironically, the first passage that tells that he was in charge of the group's money also tells us that he was completely untrustworthy. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, said, Why is this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag he could use to help himself to where he put it. John 12, 4 through 6. This is the partly the reason why many people believe that Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus out of greed. During the Last Supper, Jesus claimed that one of the disciples would betray him and then tells Judas, What you are about to do, do it quickly. John 13, 27. Somehow none of the other disciples picked up on this. They all assumed that he had something to do with being in charge of the money. Each of the Gospels gives a slightly different version of the moment Judas betrayed Jesus, but the main thread goes like this. Judas met with a chief priest and agreed to betray Jesus. Matthew 26, 14 through 16. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. The disciples keep falling asleep. Matthew 26, 36 through 34. Jesus arrives with the armed mob sent from the chief priest and points out Jesus and greets him with a kiss. Matthew 26, 47 through 49. Shortly after Judas betrays Jesus, he tries and fails to return the money to the priests. Matthew 27, 3 and 4. 
So how did Judas Iscariot die? Judas Iscariot's death was unique among disciples. Why, James, the son of Zebedee, was the only apostle martyred in the Bible. Judas Iscariot was the first to die. His death is also one of those gotcha moments that people talk about when they talk about contradictions in the Bible. The Gospel of Matthew says he hung himself. So when we look at Matthew 27, 5, it says, So Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and then he went away and hung himself. The chief priests then used the money to buy a potter's field because it was blood money and they could not put it back into the treasury. But Luke records a different death of Judas in Acts 1, 18 and 19. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field where he felt headlong and his body burst open and his attestant spilt out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this and then and called the field in their own language the field of blood. Some people make it a point to try to reconcile the two accounts, suggesting that Judas hung himself and then when the rope broke, his remains hung there until his body decomposed. But we still are not sure exactly on how he died. So now we're going to look at some other followers of Jesus. Paul, who is also known as Saul, is easily one of the most widely known biblical figures, and he wrote most of the New Testament books. He often appears on a list of the most influential people who've ever lived. Paul did more to help spread the gospel throughout the world than anyone else in the early church. But he wasn't one of the twelve, and he probably never encountered Jesus during his earthly ministry. Before his dramatic conversion, Paul was a member of the Pharisees, a group of religious uh, elites who opposed Jesus and persecuted the followers. Acts even records Paul watched and approved while people were stoned the first Christian martyr, Stephen, to death. On the road to Damascus, where Paul intended to arrest Christians, Jesus appeared to him and saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then the Lord told Paul, get up and go into the city where you'll be told what you must do. Paul was struck blind and Jesus used the man named Ananias to restore the sight in Jerusalem. From that point forward, Paul became the apostle to the Gentiles. And he claimed Jesus as specifically calling him to reach all non-Jewish communities. Now we look at Luke the Evangelist, also known as Luke the Physician or Saint Luke. He is a traditional author of both the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. He wasn't one of the twelve, but most scholars wouldn't consider him an apostle. Luke appears to have a companionship with Paul. At times in Acts, he includes himself into the story. Acts 16.10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready to go once more, leaving for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And while Luke didn't personally witness Jesus' ministry, he claims to have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, and he accessed the eyewitness accounts, including the Gospel of Mark. In four centuries, the bishop claimed Luke was one of the 70 disciples mentioned in Luke 10. 
but that's unlikely, especially since Luke appeared to indicate that he was not an eyewitness. While there are certainties of the importance of the early Christian church, Luke is not one of the twelve apostles. So finally, we look at Mark the Evangelist, commonly believed to be the same man as John Mark and a traditional author from the Gospel of Mark. The Bible doesn't explicitly connect these two people together like the early church. John Mark was a traveling companion of Paul and Barnabas. And as we can see, that when Peter escapes from prison in Acts 12, he flees to John Mark's mother's house, which this is important to be the gathering place of early Christians. So Peter and John Mark likely cross paths, and it wouldn't be surprising if they developed a lasting relationship as a result. With all that being said, Mark, the traditional author of the Gospel of Mark, is not one of the twelve and probably was not an eyewitness to Jesus' ministry. According to tradition, Mark gospel is based on Peter's account of his time with Jesus, which could be why Matthew and Luke's gospel appears to be based on the gospel of Mark, even though Matthew was an eyewitness. So that concludes the 12 disciples, who they were, how they became disciples, and how they died, and the additional people who were a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope you guys have been able to understand and follow how all of this has taken place. As we got into later on into the disciples, I can tell you, like I said, with James and, and Jude, it's very confusing because the history has been interwoven throughout the centuries. But what we need to take away from this is that Jesus calls us all. He doesn't segregate or separate he calls us all for a purpose and we need to be able to answer that so as i get ready to wrap up today's episode i want to leave you again with john 15:16 which reads you did not choose me but i chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit fruit that will last so that whoever asks in my name the father will give you and we need to remember that that we don't choose jesus jesus chooses us. So thank you so much for taking time to listen today. I know this was a very lengthy and very um, in-depth to some points on this episode, but I wanted to finish up today with the 12 apostles, and I hope and pray you got something out of it, or at least that it intrigued you and piqued your interest to want to go and learn more. So thank you so much for following us. You go to our social pages. You can also go to our website, jesusandacupofjoe.com. But until next time, just remember, you always start your day with Jesus and a Cup of Joe. God bless. Mm-hmm.